the angels in heaven uh, rejoices when that happens. And I sometimes think that as believers, you know, we, we can sometimes get used to the fact that people come into faith and it doesn't excite us like it should. If the angels in heaven rejoices, we should rejoice. Now, I didn't tell my brother this, but my, our brother Sean here on the front row received Christ as his Savior last week. And the angels in heaven are rejoicing over that. And each of you should give him a right hand of fellowship after the service, welcoming him into the family of God. Because the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now when someone confesses their sin and comes to faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. There is an old proverb that says, no matter how long the winter, spring is sure to follow. No matter how long the winter, spring is sure to follow. We all love spring. It's here. We love it. We love those nice uh, spring sunny days. We love playing outside. We love cooking on the grill. We love working in the garden. Going on a spring walk with family, friends, and loved ones. And, and, and we're also glad that old man Winter has gone back into his house for a long, long-needed nap. And so we're glad to see him go away as well. Spring brings new beginnings. It brings things to life. Trees and flowers begin to blossom. And so we do love spring. And so does our soul. It loves spring, too. And the Psalms are spring to the soul. Psalms are spring to the soul. For many of us, we have that one psalm that, that we go to when our soul is in the middle of a winter blizzard. Has your soul ever been in a winter blizzard? And you have that one verse, that, that one psalm that you go to. For many of us, that can be Psalm 23. Even a lot of non-believers know that psalm. We go there for encouragement to receive encouragement from the Lord. The Psalms minister to us. They, they remind us of truth. They speak both to our intellect and to our heart. They speak to our heads as well as our minds. Professors Dillard and Longman are correct when they say, one feels at home in the Psalter. One feels at home in the Psalter. Your soul is at home in the Psalms. The, your, the Psalms are springtime for the soul, and it's time for you to take your soul on a spring walk. It's time you take your soul on a spring walk. And we're going to do that today. We're going to begin a new sermon series called A Walk Through the Psalms. And we're going to begin our journey, our walk in Psalm 116, verses 1 through 4. This Psalm 16, it gives us one picture of what it looks like to walk in confident dependency. It gives us one picture of what it looks like to walk in confident dependency. And this is what David is going to show us. What does it mean for you to walk in confident dependency on the Lord? Here is God's word, Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
As for the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. That drink offering of blood I shall not pour out or take their names on my lips. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, we don't just need a formality of, of this always asking you to come. We are in desperate need of you to, to move in this place. We do know you live in the hearts of all believers, but sometimes we are not sensitive to your leading. We need you to, to woo us, to, to move in our hearts and our minds today, to draw us closer to the one who died for our sins. We don't come here just to go through the motions. We need something supernatural to, to take place here each week. We need to be ministered to. We need to be encouraged. We need to be corrected, some of us. And only you can do that. Our counselor, our helper, the third person in the Trinity, we need you. And will you come and minister to us today? It is in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Walking is a preferred exercise for many people who are hoping to live a healthier and more fit lifestyle. Now, there are fast walkers and there are slow walkers, but both of them share the same thing in common. Both of them need to have a proper walking technique. And if you are a walker, then you probably know the technique. You walk with your head up, looking forward. You don't look at the ground. Your neck and your shoulders are straight. They're not bent over. You swing your arms with a slight bent in the elbow. Your stomach muscles are slightly tightened. Your back is straight. And you walk smoothly. And that's the proper walking technique. And when it comes to walking in dependency on the Lord, there's also a proper walking technique that we all must have. Now, this technique doesn't have anything to do with your body posture. It has everything to do with the posture of your heart and soul, their attitude, their point of view, their position. Your heart and soul must believe in, surrender to, and trust in the right things about God. Walking in dependency on him depends totally on who he is, not on your ability to walk perfectly. Because sometimes we focus on our ability to walk, but that's not our focus. It should be on who he is. Some of you are fast walkers. Some of you may be slow walkers like me. But we both need the proper walking technique. And that proper walking technique is believing in, surrendering to, and trusting in a sound biblical view of God. David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, I, I have no good apart from you. David uses the terms God and Lord in these verse, two verses for a particular reason. The Hebrew term he uses for, for God here is El. El is one of the many names of God the Israelites used. The name is used a lot in all the poetry sections of Scripture. It means strong one, mighty one, powerful one. It acknowledges the God of Israel as the one true God 
who was all-powerful, almighty, all-strong. And he is the one who preserves David. Preserve me, O El. Next, he uses the proper name for God. He says, I say to the Lord. And the proper name for God, many of you know, is Yahweh. And in the Hebrew text, that name is identified by just four letters because it's seen as sacred. It's the unspeakable name. It means God is self-existent. It means he's imminent. It, 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 it implies a personal and covenant relationship. It expresses his mercy and condescension to us as the one true God. For David, his God is both El, his God is both Yahweh and Yahweh. But what about you? Is Jesus El in your life? Is he strong? Is he mighty? Is he powerful? Is Jesus Yahweh in your life? Self-existent, imminent, personal, merciful, holy. The posture of your heart and soul must surrender to, believe in, and trust in Jesus as both El and Yahweh. If you don't know Jesus in faith, then your heart and soul cannot do this. You can't walk in dependency on a God you don't know. You just go through the motions. So you have to have faith in him first. That means you have to surrender to him first in saving faith. And once you do that, once you come into the kingdom, once the spirit brings you in through confessing your sins and and surrendering to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then through the power of the spirit, you can walk in confident dependency. There's an order to this. You can't depend on him if you don't know him. You have to know him first. Now, if you struggle to walk, like, like I do sometimes, that's what the spirit is for. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. You can pray to him to help you and to empower you, to give you strength to walk in confident dependency on Jesus. And when he moves in you, you will say what David said. You will pray what David prayed. Preserve me, O El, for I take refuge in you. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. You won't pray that prayer if you don't believe Jesus is who he claims to be. You can't pray that prayer. If you don't believe in, surrender to, and trust in the right things about Jesus. Jesus is powerful enough. He's mighty enough. He's strong enough to preserve you. But do you believe it? Do you believe it is the question. Do you believe he's able? Do you trust him? Do you surrender to? Jesus is ill. He's able to preserve you. He is your place of refuge. David says, why take refuge in you? He doesn't say, I'm going to take refuge in God later. He doesn't say, say, I'm going to take refuge in God only on Sunday mornings when I'm around, just around other believers. He doesn't say, I'm going to take refuge in God ever so often. He's taking refuge in God right now. Right now, in his present reality, not in tomorrow, not in the future, but today, he takes refuge in him. Jesus is your refuge now. Not in days past, not in the future to come, but right now in your current circumstances, in your current struggles, in your current unbelief, in your current situation. He is preserving you at this moment. But do you believe it? Can you see it? He is powerful enough. He is mighty enough. And he's strong enough. 
we have a small view of our God. We all do. We do. From circumstance to circumstance, we are practically atheists. Because we claim to believe him, but when the rubber meets the road, we go into unbelief. We begin to doubt him. But he's able. Your circumstances and your present suffering cannot stop Jesus. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? So you can walk in confident dependency on Jesus. And that is you can depend on him to guard you, to keep you, to watch over you, to care for you, to provide for you, to protect you. Good parents have a natural instinct to protect their kids. It's natural. And this instinct was on display recently at a spring training baseball match between the Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Sean Cunningham took his son Landon to, to this match to celebrate his ninth birthday. And Sean's instinct came, in, came into play when one of the outfielders from the Pirates lost control of his bat at the plate. It flew out of his hand and headed straight to the stand. And it zeroed in on Landon's face. He didn't see the bat coming because he was texting his mom a, a photo of the game. But his dad saw it. Sean saw it. And so what he does is that he extends out one of his hands to deflect the bat. The bat actually hits his arm instead of his son. And in a radio interview, Sean says, I was in dad mode, you know, protecting my son. So I just did what I could. Jesus was in savior mode on the cross, doing what he could to protect you from the bat of God's wrath. And he received the full force of it in your place because of your sin. But do you believe that? God was in father mode on the cross on your behalf, punishing Jesus in your place for your sins. And if he's able to deal with your sin, then he's able to deal with what you're currently going through. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? Whenever you doubt the Father's love and his presence and his power, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at what took place there. That all your sin, the punishment of it, was taken out on Christ. And if God did that, how can he not minister to you now? How could he not show up now? He is your refuge. He is able. He is strong enough. He's the one who continues to preserve you and keep you. The one who is able to do far more than you can think or ask. But does your heart and mind believe it? That's the question. David says, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He embraces Yahweh, not just as his Savior, but as his Lord over his life, as his master, as his king. Yahweh has authority over him. Now, for those of you who don't like authority, then you don't like that. For those of you who don't like being under authority, you don't like that because you want to be in control of your own life. You want to be your own man, your own woman. You don't want nobody telling you what to do. But I got to tell you, Jesus 
is Savior and Lord, not just your Savior. David surrenders to the Lord's, Yahweh's Lordship. He realizes that apart from Yahweh's sovereign hand, he has no good thing. And think about the implications of that. Let, that, let, that, let those words go into your heart. Do you realize that apart from Jesus, you have no good thing? Now, you can say it, but don't tell me, do you really believe that? That apart from Christ, you have no good thing. I don't care how good your life is, that apart from him, you have nothing good. That's a period. That's no ands. That's no ifs. That's no buts. That's period. He is both Lord and Savior. As Savior, he redeems your life. As Lord, he owns your life. And everything you think is yours is not yours. It's his. There isn't any part of your life that Jesus has not claimed as his own. I hope you know that. Ain't no part. There's nothing you got that you can say, well, Jesus, I'm going to have this bit, but you can have this part. But I'm going to hold on to this. No, he wants it all. Everything. He wants it all. For he is El, he is Yahweh. And the posture of your heart, the posture of your soul must embrace him as such. You can walk in confident dependency on him as your refuge and your goodness. You see, Jesus is good to his people all the time. He doesn't take a vacation. Okay? Please know that. Jesus doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take a two-week break and say, I'm not going to be good this week. He doesn't delegate it to anybody else. He's always on the clock. He's always on the job watching over you. And David gives us some examples of his goodness in these verses. The first goodness is the goodness of being with God's people. I'm going to let that sit there for a moment. Let some of you, when you post something on Facebook, you say, I'm going to let that sit there for a moment. There's the goodness of being with God's people. Do you believe being with God's people is good? God's people are his covenant family. His church is his family. And every person who has saving faith in Jesus is part of that family. Now, this means if you love Jesus as much as you say you do, then you will love his people with all their mess, with all their brokenness, because Jesus loves you with all your mess and all your brokenness. Now, don't get mad with me. If your toes starting to hurt, get mad with Jesus. Do you delight in the body of Christ here at the Village Church? Do you enjoy one another's presence? Are you more than just people who go to church together once a week? Are the elders and deacons in this church more than just men who handle the business of the church? See, my prayer and my hope is that each of you will delight in one another's delight in one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. That you will humbly be intentional about cultivating true community and relationships with one another. You should seek each other out during the week. This should not be the only time you have contact with one another in this church. You should call one another. Invite each other over to your homes and break bread together. 
we should participate in even our monthly small groups. Participate in those. Come to the, take each other out to lunch after the services each week. Come to the church picnic. Help serve at summertime at the village. You should have a desire to be around each other. Not out of obligation, but out of love. But out of love. You are a relational being. And you're going to be in relationship with someone or some group of people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. David says in, in, some, in verse 4, The sorrow of those who run after other gods should multiply. Their drink often the blood I will not pour out, nor take their names on my lips. What is he saying there? He's saying, I'm not going to just sit in the seat of sinners. I'm not just going to, I can hang out with non-believers, but they're not going to be the company that I always keep. I've got to have connections with the body. Who, who's, who's in your company? What people are in your circle of friends? There should be a growing desire in all of us for true relationships with other believers. Now, it's unrealistic to say you're going to be close friends with every single person, even in a small church like this. But you need some close friendships with each other that get below the surface of life. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. Now, can I be honest for a moment? Can I get below the surface for a moment? Now, we're not in heaven yet. So the village church is never going to be a relational utopia. Please know that. Please know that. I hope you didn't come here for that. Because I got to tell you, that's not going to happen. There are going to be people who is in this church that you don't get along with. I hope you know that. You're going to clash with certain people. Certain people are going to get under your skin, and they're going to get on your nerves. And you're going to be tempted to distance yourself from them. But please understand, there are going to be some people who don't get along with you either. You're going to get under their skin, too. And you're going to get on their nerves as well. Because we all have issues here, people. We all have issues. We have and we will sin against one another in this church. But out of love for one another, we should keep short accounts. We're not trying to build a utopia here. We're not. We should pursue reconciliation when we hurt each other. We should seek each other out to make wrongs right. You need other Christians in your life. The Christian faith is not individualistic. Now, our culture is, but Christianity is not. It's family. It's community. It's not you and Jesus walking on the beach holding hands in isolation from other believers. That's not the Christian faith. He's not your homeboy or your boyfriend. When he brings you into the faith, you are part of a family, part of a family of God. And so for all of us, being part of a local body of Christ is part of you walking in dependency on him. Because you can't say, I love him, and don't want to be part of his people. It does not work that way. Now, I know some of you have church hurt. And as my mother says, there's nothing like church hurt. Well, church, we, 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 church can be messy. But guess what? There are no perfect churches. There are some healthy ones and unhealthy ones. Find you a healthy church to be a part of if you don't have one. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another 
towards love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. That's called for community. That's a call to be part of a local body of Christ. The communion of saints is goodness, God's goodness to you. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? I have a competitive spirit when it comes to other guys. I compete with them in my own heart. I think every guy in this church at some point I've competed with you in my own heart when it comes to my role as a father, when it comes to my role as a dad, as a leader. And so I've either been jealous of you or I thought I was better than you inside my heart. And through my friend and mentor, Rodney, God has used this brother to, to help me get below the surface of my life of why I'm always in competition with other men. And he basically told me the reason you have these unhealthy relationships with God is that you don't know how to have true friendship with them. And so you compete with them. You see them as a threat. And that's why. Because you don't know how to be weak and truly weak before another man without being ashamed. And he said, I told him, you're right. I don't know how to be that weak before another guy. Be open and unashamed. I, I keep guys at arm length. I don't let them get too close. And even in my relationship with y'all, I love you, but I still keep you at arm's length, protecting myself. And so trust me, I know it's hard building true relationships with other people. I know it's hard. It's tough. Your pastor struggles with it. But it's my prayer that as the Holy Spirit begins to work in me, I can't let those walls down and have genuine relationships with other guys where I can be, as the psalm says, naked and unashamed. And I'm not there yet because I'm, I'm afraid to be that way with, some, with guys. But through the work of the Spirit, we can be that way. We can't be that way with everybody, but we can have a circle in this church that we can be that way with, that way we love one another, we hold each other accountable, and we build each other up in the Lord because of love, not out of obligation, but because we really do love one another. Let us pray. Father, it's hard being transparent, but it's hard, but it's, but it's wonderful where we can have redemptive transparency, where you show us things, but we can also see that you're moving in us too. And you know us, you know me, it's tough. It's tough walking in dependency upon you, it's tough trusting that you're good and faithful, and it's hard truly being part of a body of Christ. Some of us have been hurt by the church. Some of us have been betrayed by the church, and we've hurt one another. And it's only by your grace and by your great mercy that that we can forgive and come together and reconcile. My prayer for this local body of Christ is that when we do sin and hurt one another, Lord, we will seek each other out and ask for forgiveness, and that we will pursue reconciliation, not just out of obligation, but out of love, Lord, love for you and love for one another. Holy Spirit, you have to do this in us. We don't have the power in ourselves to keep ourselves together as, as in unity. It has to be you at work in us individually and corporately. I pray that you would do that. Not for our own glory. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back. 
but so that we may reflect the glory of Christ in this place. And I do pray for all of this in his wonderful name. Amen.